Chris, good to see you, man. Pat, always good, man. Always good with you. Yeah, brother. And uh, Boz and I had to have you on. You know, for anyone who's unfamiliar with it, you know, we created a, a 1.5 mile run program, which we'll chat about at the end of the show. But if anybody wants to check all those things out, go to verynotrandom.com. You can see what we offer. But we'll we'll kind of dive into that at the end. Wanted to bring you on to highlight that, but you got a, a wealth of knowledge for running aerobic conditioning capacity and that's stuff that all of us can benefit for. So we want to just put the the bulk of the show kind of in that that area that no matter what you're doing, it's gonna it's gonna help somebody in one way, shape, or form. I love it. Makes the conversation easy for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, maybe Chris, for some of our listeners who aren't as familiar with you, would you mind just teeing them up a little bit with some of your background and Sure. kind of where you're coming from? Yeah, I, I my original background, I was a swimmer, age grouper, uh, but I, I really wasn't that good. As a matter of fact, being honest with the audience, I never won an age group medal. Um, I, all of my medals, unfortunately, I took them from my brother. Uh, I was really I was late in developing. Uh, yeah, that's really sad. But I was very late in developing. Uh, and so I ended up getting just trying different sports and trying to do something that other people in my family were not doing. And I got uh, sucked into the sport of triathlons. And, and mainly it, my feeling was on triathlons. If I finished it and my brothers and sisters didn't do that, then it was an accomplishment that I did and no one could mm -hmm. ever take it from me. And so mm -hmm. I started as got into being a professional. I did that for oof, it, probably seven years. Um, went to world championships, um, got second, went to Kona, Hawaii, the Ironman, got second. Um, I've won, I mean, if you race a lot, you win a lot. And so I won a lot um, of races, good genetics. Um, my lung capacity is lots bigger than normal. My VO2 max, my aerobic capacity mm. is extremely high. Plus, I have a high percentage of slow twitch fibers. Um, great run. Um, but it damaged me a lot of volume. I was pulling yeah. maybe 25,000 yards in the pool uh, a week. I was riding 350 to 400 a week. Uh, oh, and then wow. I was wow. a week for like eight years. Yeah, it messed me up. <laughs> and then yeah, I that's found a lot out, of mileage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Brutal. Well, you know what it does? It, and, and the way I got into CrossFit was it was 3 Sakamoto. We were, it was Glassman's original gym was looking at moving in around 07. And I happened to be in a meeting with Annie and she made a comment to me. She was very interested in my background. Um, and I found it fascinating that she created this gym called CrossFit. I'm all, that's sketchy. I didn't know even about affiliate model or any of that. And um, she said to me, she says, you know, you've done a lot of volume in your day, but it's the same movements, the same muscle patterns over mm -hmm. and over again. And I invite you to come to our gym and fix your neglected muscle groups. And you, and I'll never forget it, she says, I think that you could become functional. And that mm. word functional resonated, but was kind of offensive to me at that time. Was, sure. You've neglected a lot. But I'm like, I swam, I bike, I rode. Yeah, I never went into the gym, but I thought that that had me covered when in fact I was so grossly mistaken. Um, my source of injuries and damage was the neglected muscle groups. And that's why I was so, I was so messed up in my early forties and yeah, grateful. And then started, uh, Santa Cruz central stayed there for three years, eventually went to NorCal, ran into Jason Khalif after a year, 
he reached out and uh, that year was 2012, 2013. And I was with Neil Maddox, Garrett Fisher, Jason, Miranda Oldroy. It was, it was the, really, that was the core. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I have to say that it's very rare when you run into an athlete like it's Khalifa, where they acknowledge their limitations and mm. they become coachable. But the key is, is that even if a coach does have everything right, at the end of the day, that athlete has to deliver. And that's what Jason did. And, you know, by winning three of the four endurance events and um, they had that, that naughty Nancy that year uh, and he mm-hmm. got third in that. And Pat, that's where you made your first comments about me. The Do you remember this? Thirteen. Yeah, wow. you were ten years. You did How some about digging. That? You did some digging, and on the broadcast, I was sent a clip, and it was from you, mm. and it said, "Did some digging on this guy, and he's done Ironman like ten times." And you said, "He's the real deal." I remember that. Do you? <laughs> yep, I do. I remember that. Was that was the first nice thing that anybody said to me in the sport. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just have, I'm one to shower praise well, on people. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> I've got to say, I'm sure that the athletes appreciated having you in their corner. I remember, I, I can't remember if it was 2012 or 2013, that was the year of the burden run. 13. I think it was, was 13. 13. Okay. And Garrett Fisher came out so fast on that runner. I remember everybody was blown away at just how good of a runner he was that season. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, that's always fun for me when you see athletes that traditionally kind of get maybe not pigeonholed, but you you expect their strengths in other areas. And then lo and behold, they have put that time in in the off season and it turns out, wow, they've really developed into something much more broad than you expected. That's really cool. And and I think that's a, a real testament to, you know, your influence. So, very Thanks, cool man. to uh, to see that e- even in the early days. Um, and like you said, you know, not all athletes are willing to admit to themselves that maybe it's worth investing some time here, or maybe I even have a weakness in this area at all. Uh, you yep. know, that's a particular mindset that's willing to be humble enough to accept that and 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 listen to somebody who has experience in that realm. So that's cool. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's true. I mean, I think that athletes and coaches, right? It's it's interesting to me that coaches they don't acknowledge limitations right and mm-hmm. and and they don't want to sign up for some sort of educational course because there's this 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 persona that they've created that is all knowing and yeah, and, the expert and that, mm-hmm. right and that's a bad position to be in as a coach because mm-hmm. now you're, you're there's nowhere else to go but down mm-hmm. Well, yeah. yeah, that's something that w- we talk about that on the show pretty regularly, actually, when, when we're talking about coaches and and just how it is difficult, especially if you're in this the driver's seat of an affiliate, you know, or you're the head coach uh, of an affiliate, that sort of thing. Um, you know, it is easy to fall into that role where you are expected to be the expert, even if right. it's just your own expectation. Uh, yep. And that can really lead to a lot of blind spots. And And so one of the most effective things you can do is make sure that as that person in the driver's seat, you still have an outlet for people to coach you, for people to give you feedback. And that's not easy to do sometimes um, when when you're the one sitting in the hot seat. Yep. I I, I, have a funny story. So I I was talking with Chad Bond, who, you know, just world-class weightlifter. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's going to go into the weightlifting hall of fame and one of the best American weightlifters of all time. And I asked him, I said, let me ask, can, when you see someone lift, 
and they finish the lift. Can you close your eyes and see the lift replay? And he's, oh, yeah, no, I could break down the whole thing with my eyes closed. And I said, out of curiosity, if someone runs past you, what do you see? And he's like, no, I just see darkness. <laughs> right. <laughs> just a blurry screen. <laughs> There's just nothing there. But I love the honesty, right? Because I see someone weightlift. It's like, I, yeah, it's not, it's not when I see someone run. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, nice it to have sense. your thing, you know, and a lot of CrossFit coaches are, are striving to be experts in a whole bunch of different domains, but that's a really almost unrealistic load to bear. So it's nice to get that ego out of the way and say, you know, hey, we've kind of hit the boundary of my knowledge in this particular realm. I don't have the answer to that question. I know where to find it. And, and with regards to, you know, aerobic capacity, you know, hence why you're here, you, you gave a nice little recap of, you know, over the course of years, you know, working with top level athletes and whatnot, how their overall fitness has been improved. And we've seen it at the games, you know, through, you know, improving their conditioning, which maybe, you know, in the very early days, um, before that was maybe tested as regularly and frequently as it is now, the emphasis wasn't put on. I think a lot of athletes know you can't avoid that now. It's got to be a part of your arsenal. But I would say for, for me, correct me if I'm wrong, for the athletes that I deal with, the, the vibe I get from various communities, you don't have to twist anyone's arm to get a barbell in their hand, even right. to this day, <laughs> even though they know, based on what you just said, like, I love watching the games and oh yeah, you better have your running on point. Like, I think they would know that. But then still, when it comes down to arm twisting, no arm twisting needed for the barbell. I would say there's, a, if I'm being honest, probably a fair amount of arm twisting for strict gymnastics. I don't think that's super popular. Right. But running to this day, I mean, even years later, is still something which, you know, if you're going to show up to the track and do some 800 meter repeats till you vomit, it, you could be just you because everyone else is like, yeah, I got something at that. I'm, yeah, if you're going to do heavy deads. <laughs> let me know. Did you say a track day? Yeah, I can't do it. Right. So you know, that, kind of be, that kind of begs the question, you know, what is it? Why is this thing, which it seems to me that a lot of people would prefer to avoid, why should they not? Why is it so darn beneficial, games athlete or not, to people's GPP, their overall fitness, to start embracing some running, be it short, medium, or long? We have to recognize that when, when we do the majority of things in our life, we're supporting our structure, we're supporting our body weight, we're standing, we're walking. And, and running isn't always about running, right? What we're doing is we're, we're building up the primary structure that's supporting our body weight. And that's what makes running so difficult for so many people is that you have to manage your weight. It's, it's one of the sports that automatically creates a relative intensity, meaning if you're bigger, you have more muscle mass, right? And you have a higher aerobic capacity. But unfortunately, that weight hinders your performance. And that's, if you take it into the sport of rowing, why they have weight classes. Because a mm -hmm. bigger athlete has more lean muscle mass. And as a result, they are able to move and utilize more oxygen. And so it's an unfair advantage. But that same big person, when they run, that aerobic capacity, it looks at their overall body weight. And that's why it's hard. It's hard equally for everyone. Everybody says the same thing. It's like, when does it ever get easy? And it's like, <laughs> unfortunately, it doesn't. You just mm -hmm. get faster. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. but people need to realize that these movements, you can't just expect like, oh, after, 
you know, some period of time, like on October one, I'm going to start working on my running because I have a marathon in December. <laughs> it work that way. Well, that's that's the other thing, right? Is people will give the barbell a lot of respect. If you want to get strong, they'd be like, yeah, this is a multi-year process of getting strong. I don't expect to be strong next month. But it, maybe this mindset has gone, but it certainly used to be prevalent, alive mm -hmm. and well. It's like, yeah, I'm going to train real hard. I've got this, you know, CrossFit comp coming up at two or three weeks out. I, you know, I'll just start hitting the track, build my engine, lickety split, and I'm good to go. And it's like, they seem to be this, yes, yeah, strength takes a long time, but I can build an engine just like that. I'm like, well, then why don't you have an engine? That's exactly. I, and, 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 and that's why you see these elite level marathon runners right? Their, their, their true capacity is optimized after a lifetime, right? They're 35, mm -hmm. 36 years old. And that's when these massive improvements in the marathon, right? Two hours is being created. Mm. It's, it's not by some young kid. It's by huh. someone who has put in a lifetime of year over year over year work. And you finally see that when you're in your mid thirties. And, and that's what wow. you have to realize is that you're making what we call peripheral adaptations. So the heart, the lungs, central adaptations. So we could do any high intensity piece and the heart doesn't know what it's doing. It's just trying to move blood. But mm -hmm. keep in mind, the legs are the largest muscle group in the body. And we want to recognize where priorities should lie. And that is based upon size, the muscle group size. And a lot of people need to recognize that when you run, you create these improvements in your ability to move that oxygen into your running muscles and use it more efficiently. And that's important in the largest muscle group in your body. And, and what people need to realize is, is that by running, and the majority of running is done slowly, you're improving your slow twitch fibers ability to clear fatigue. Remember, one of the major measures of aerobic fitness is recovery. How fast can you recover? And like in competitions, especially within the CrossFit space, your ability to recover in between events or days is critical to your overall mm -hmm. success. And the key piece is that what people need to realize on this subject is that your slow twitch fibers, this whole recovery piece, what they do to help them move is when they see lactate available, which is produced by your fast twitch fibers, that glycolytic pathway, when that lactate comes into the, the legs, right, either through the movement of running or through the bloodstream, mm -hmm. those muscle groups, they use that lactate as a fuel. Well, what's interesting is this word lactic acid, when lactate comes into the body, it also brings the fatigue-causing metabolites, the acidity. So they come into the body together. Well, ironically, they leave the body together. How can you get this acidity, these fatigue-causing metabolites out? is by having those slow twitch fibers consume that lactate as a fuel. And when it uses that fuel to help those slow twitch fibers move, it grabs the acidity and takes it from the body. So for most people, they are underutilizing the value of their legs and their ability to clear fatigue. Imagine hmm. that the biggest muscle group in your body is not optimized to help you recover. Well, and that's that, what the mistake is. That I think is one of the golden keys to the kingdom that's very easy to overlook because while, whatever it is, if you're talking about grace, DT, something with the barbell, right? Let's get back yeah. to what everybody loves. And they think, well, I'm going to get a faster DT time or fill in the blank by improving my one rep max. 
and then the barbell will feel lighter, I'll move faster, et cetera, et cetera. And, and while there is something to that, I think the other side of the coin, which doesn't get any uh, the credit that it deserves is, okay, well, what if, what if instead of doing that, your one rep max didn't change, but you know, you're not doing DTN broken. At a certain point in time, you're huffing and puffing and so fatigued and you've reached, you know, this, your muscles can't work anymore. You have to drop the barbell and recover until you can pick the barbell up again. Right. Well, if you can shorten that amount of time and you're grabbing the barbell sooner every time you drop it, by its very nature, you're accomplishing that work faster. You've improved your fitness. And so there's multiple ways to attack this that some I think is the big flashy object that's right. easy for people to look at. And the other one is a bit more nuanced, but really, really beneficial. I think that's what you're getting at there. Yeah, I had the chance to sit down with the, the most decorated German gymnast in history. And his father used to um, pull blood uh, at World Championship Gymnastic Meet and the Olympics. So after he would finish a routine, they would pull blood to measure that blood lactate, like how much of that lactic acid is in the bloodstream. And what was fascinating was, is that he shared with me all of his documents, all of his data. He also shared it with the German national team, but they didn't know what to do with it. What was fascinating was, is that when they, when he would enter into the last two rotations, he was already, due to his inability to recover, in a non-sustainable pace, meaning the accumulation of that lactic acid was so high in his muscles that they were already shutting down on him. And mm -hmm. imagine going into a high bar, a one-minute routine, mm -hmm. highly technical, highly dangerous, right? You mess up there, it's a career-ending injury, and you have to start that in a non-sustainable pace. That's brutal. But mm -hmm, what's, yeah. what's fascinating is, is that look how gymnasts train, right? A lot of these sports, they're traditional base, meaning you're going to do vault and then you're just going to go right back into line again. Mm -hmm. And if you're always doing nothing in your rest, then why are you surprised that you can only do nothing in recovery? Yeah, I so, remember as a, as a young man when I was training gymnastics, that was very much just what you described. You would practice a skill, you'd wait your turn, you'd practice that skill again. And, and really the only sustained effort that we ever did was during a warm-up, which was pretty yep. cursory. You know, we would do a couple laps around the gym, we would do some dynamic stretching, you yep. know, you would do some basic kind of calisthenics, and then that was time to get into the technical work. And there, there really wasn't a lot of thought given outside of the specificity of what you needed for that particular skill. That's to right. developing like the well-rounded athlete. Um, and, you know, That's like right. to be fair, I wasn't training at any sort of high level. This was pretty local gymnastics. I did do it for a long time. I never really got to any sort of competitive threshold, but, but yeah. the training never really considered anything outside of that. And it, it was what you said, very traditional. It was like, well, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way that, you know, there's been some outliers that have become champions doing this and therefore right. it should be good enough for everybody else. Uh, which is a right. little bit strange when you think about it, because the outliers are going to be outliers no matter what. Yep. So the question becomes, how do you take the average person and give them something that allows them to exceed what should be, you know, by any means, kind of their, their upper threshold? Uh, that's the more important and more impressive thing, in my opinion. You know, if you have a freak athlete, they're going to be amazing, almost right. regardless of what you do with them. That's um, correct. But, yeah. but what Pat said earlier was, you work on your one rep strength then it makes the other loads easier. So mm -hmm. think about, hold on to that. And now let's just talk about running. 
let's just say that you do Fran and I send you out for a recovery jog. Your recovery jog pace, let's <laughs> say it's 12 minutes per mile. All right, let's just say. But in time, what's going to happen is your body's going to adapt to that 12 minute per mile. And in order to create the same stimulus, meaning the same heart rate, you're going to have to go faster. And if I keep increasing your speed that you run at the recovery, you're going to progress in that direction, right? You're, you're going to recover faster, meaning you'll be able to do an 11 minute pace and then a nine minute pace. It's still going to hurt just as bad as the 12, mm -hmm. but you're recovering at a faster intensity. Mm -hmm. And it's the same concept, but just on the opposite end of the spectrum, what Pat just said about a one rep lift is if you can recover faster, meaning at a higher intensity. Now, what if you go back and you say, I wonder what it feels like at that 12 minute mile pace. Now that you can do 10 minute mile at 12, your heart rate won't remotely hit the numbers it used to. And that's what people need to realize. Meaning, what if you don't have to do anything in your recovery after you've taken it down to a 10? Mm -hmm. Meaning you're mm -hmm. going to recover faster. Yeah. If you always sit in a chair after five by five back squat, then you always must sit in a chair. You know, I don't know if you remember this, because when you and I spoke, it's been actually, geez, I bet it's been over three years if I, if I actually think about it. And we spoke about, you know, when we did a, a podcast together and we, the day that you and I did a podcast, the previous day, I, you and I had been texting because I did an eight by 200 meter run workout. And I think I was just shooting the breeze with you or something. Yeah. And, you know, I had, you asked me my run times and I knew them. They were like 36, 37 seconds per, um, per 200, something like that. And then you said, okay, great. And how many are you doing? Doing eight. Good. And then you said, what's your rest period in the middle? Right. And I said, I don't know. You know, when I, when I finished the 200, I kind of walked back to the start and then I hit the next one. I love you're it. Like, you're like, yeah. okay, but uh, how long does that, okay, you walk back, gotcha. You don't jog, you know, whatever. I'm like, no, I walk back. You're like, okay, how long does that walk take you? I'm like, I don't know. I don't time it. I walk back. I bet it's like, I bet it's a minute. And you're like, oh, I bet it's not. You're like, you're like, you're like, that's a really, if you're covering 200 meters in one minute, you are, you're not walking. And I was like, that's not I, was like I was like, okay, well maybe it's like two minutes. And you're like, I doubt it's two minutes. And I was like, whatever, Chris, you know what you're talking about. And so I, I went out and I did that walk. And as it turns out at, at the pace of normal, dude, it was three minutes. I just had no idea what my rest periods were. And, right. and now I did. Right. And you and maybe linking back to an actual real world example of people hearing what we're saying and how they can apply it and how they can play with their rest period is you told me something along the lines of like, look, if you tell me you're doing eight 200 meter repeats, that's useful. You tell me that you're doing each one in about 36 or 37 seconds, that's useful. But if I ask you how long your rest is and you say you don't know, well, there's only, let's say, three pieces to the puzzle. You're not giving me one. Right. I can't tell you what you need because if you're doing, you know, that pace, what you told me was, look, I don't think speed is your problem. If you're doing right. that pace, I think your problem is potentially stamina and some endurance. And I, I would shorten those rest periods and try to keep it up. And sure. so that, that how to use the rest periods effectively, because that's kind of the, the part of the workout that just seems like, eh, I'm going to go just kill two or three minutes before I lift again, before I run right. again, before I whatever. Right. 
But that's another one of the things I, I think is the layers as you start to understand programming more and coaching more that there's a whole lot of fitness for waiting there for people to play with, which is why if the workout says eight by 200 meter runs or 10 by 100 or six by 400, and it says rest as needed, right? that's actually good because it depends on do you need to work on your speed? Okay, longer rest periods might be your friend. Is your speed fine? and you actually need to work on your stamina or endurance or recovery, well, then we're going to shorten your rest periods and do something. And so that that rest is needed maybe plays into that, and you can dive into that mm-hmm. a little bit so anyone watching or listening can, can really utilize that to the best of their ability. Yeah, it, there's, there's always qualities in workouts, right? You could run in the sand, and that's quality, right? You could swim in cold water, you could swim in warm water, you could swim in the ocean. There are always qualities. And the body adapts to those qualities, but there's always three main qualities we see in workouts all the time. And, you know, the, the first one's volume and I can manipulate volume in your workout. Like if you want to run a half marathon, all I do is I just add more running volume. Your body adapts to that. I just keep doing it until your last workout is a half marathon. It's, it's, it really is that easy. The body adapts to the stimulus. And so the second one is, is intensity, right? In, in, in running, rowing, right? Cardio piece, it's speed or, or wattage. In lifting, it's the load that you're, you're, you're going after. And then the third one is the recovery. And that's the thing that, that CrossFit is now, they're, they're recognizing that by doing interval style workouts, right? We're seeing it in the open. We see it in the games. We see it in semifinals that, that your recovery matters, and mm-hmm. a lot of people, this gets tricky for people because I don't understand. Wait, I can manipulate recovery. How do I manipulate recovery? And what is the, the actual adaptation? And a lot of people, if I ask, if I ask you guys, I said, you know, think about the max, max number of, of handstand push-ups or push-ups that you can do. And let's just say your goal is to do 10 more. Mm-hmm. Well, what is preventing you from doing 10 more? And is it your strength? Is it that you're not strong enough to do that, meaning we should work on your bench? Or is it that it's fatigue, meaning you just get tired? Mm-hmm. What if you were less tired? If you could clear fatigue at a faster rate, could you do more of them? And for most CrossFitters, what's standing in the way of performance, because they've been in it for a while, is they just get tired. And so <laughs> what you need to look at then is if an athlete says, their limitation is the inability to recover. Well, that's a quality, just like volume and intensity is. So then make the next workout more challenging by manipulating recovery. So let's just say that you're a weightlifter and you're amazing at five by five back squat with three minutes of rest, right? And let's mm-hmm. just assume that they monitor the rest, right? A lot of people don't. So imagine you, you may be getting six minutes of rest. Well, that's a completely different five by five than getting two minutes of rest. That's why mm-hmm. you have to track the rest. But in, and if we, we talk about like improvements of performance, like in a five by five back squat, and let's say you do take the three minutes, why don't you row 500 meters in three minutes? Now, it's not that hard, but at the end of the five by five, you row 2,500 meters. That yeah. workout is a lot harder because you did something other than sitting in a chair. If you target the actual quality in the next workout, meaning instead of doing nothing, you actually do something, that workout will be harder. Meaning leave your volume alone, leave your intensity alone, 
but make the next workout harder by challenging you in the rest. So instead of sitting, walk. And you know what's going to happen is your improvement, the difficulty will be the recovery. And that is a very hard concept for people to understand. But in the, in the, in the world I come from, it's routine. You mm-hmm. say, oh, he doesn't run 100 meters and then sit in a chair. He runs and then walks. He creates fatigue to clear fatigue. Sometimes he runs. Sometimes he jogs. And that's important. Why? Because he has to do prelims, semis, and finals in the 100, the 200, the 4 by one And he's not going to work on his recovery by doing endurance workouts because his time domain of his event is less than 20 seconds. The rest does matter, right? I mean, that's why Conor McGregor, he's never going to do well if someone he's competing against understands the value of recovery because he doesn't. He does random stuff all the time, right? Look at him fight. That one minute, it's all over the place. Sometimes he's talking, sometimes he's walking. But in his training, he always sits and does nothing. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, Yeah. one of the things that I wanted to kind of come back to too, you mentioned it earlier when we're talking about running and the skill of running being really supporting your body weight over an extended period of time. You know, that's something that I had heard and hadn't really considered early on when Dr. Romanov and some of the pose guys were really close to the CrossFit movement. And, you know, there's lots of conflicting opinions on whether that's a great way to run or approach running, whatever. I'm not really interested in, in that debate, but it was the first time that I'd really heard hey, you know what really stops runners from being better is that they cannot hold position towards the end of their races. It's not about their ability to aerobically keep up with the pace. And that can be a factor, of course, but but really what happens is they become broken down. They can't maintain the the, the efficient running posture. And then you enter this cycle that basically spirals downwards because now you're working harder each step, each cycle, And there's nowhere to go but down. And that was something that I had never considered. I mean, it was like many people, you know, it's like, well, running is just one of those things you do. You just run. Uh, How would you consider it any other way? So I guess my question is, you know, when you approach somebody and you're talking to them about running, like how much of it is is technical work to try to improve their ability uh, in the skill of running? And then how much of it is just like, hey, go pound the pavement and these are your rest and and, uh, distances and and intensities like you, you mentioned? Yeah, so there's the number of factors that go into the recommendation, and age is one of them. Um, you know, we all have seen the older individual, you know, running down the road, and they barely pick their feet off the ground, right? It's a very short stride. Mm-hmm. It's very, very low to the ground mm-hmm. shuffling that they're doing. Well, it is well known that from the age of 40 to the age of 70, your stride length gets cut by 50%. But the wow. question is, is why? And, and this is where I, I really, I push CrossFit because all the people I used to compete against, they need to realize that their limitation as they age, just in the movement of running, is their range of motion. That is a major weakness on their part. And they need to maintain that range of motion. But the second is, and not that I'm into conspiracies at all, but <laughs> I do think that it's it's a strange situation where why is the running community still believing that if they go in and work their maximal strength, right, their ability to generate power by lifting heavy, right, that they'll gain weight? And weight, remember, mm. like we talked about, mm-hmm. is a fear of runners. But 
If you're losing lean muscle mass, and as you age, you don't lose slow twitch fiber. You know what you lose? That fast twitch, explosive muscle fiber. And that's one of the reasons why when we age, we lose the ability to generate power. You need to. You need to realize at the age of 40, that absolutely is coming. And if you don't get into the gym and slow that down, then you're going to underperform at a higher rate than the person that's going into the gym and working maximal strength, working their ability to generate power, force. So that's where I would start. Age being number one, for sure. And with the baby boomer generation, right? These older 40 plus people, it needs to be something looked at. And I never hear it out of the running community, ever. Since yeah, you mentioned the, the 40 and over, you know, let's say the master's athlete category. You know, I've, I have my opinions on this, but I'm not going to say what they are because I want to hear your unadulterated ones. There could be this, there could be the conversation of like, okay, look, like you said, these things are happening. You're 35 or 40 years old or over. It makes good sense for you to go in, lift heavy. It's going to be very beneficial to you. Do you think people of that age still need to run fast or is it just long and slow? Wow, you are so good. So <laughs> what's interesting is that there, for all of us, what we call uh, our peak aerobic capacity, and this is called your VO2 max, it's the maximum ability to move and bring in oxygen and utilize that oxygen in the muscles that are moving. And there is a test called the VO2 max test. And, and what you'll do is wear a mask and it measures your amount of oxygen that you're bringing in carbon dioxide going out, and the system does the calculation of what's getting consumed by the muscles. So these tests, they, they essentially increase the intensity until your body no longer can utilize more oxygen. And this is what's called your peak VO2 max, your maximal aerobic capacity. Now, what's interesting is that your maximal aerobic capacity peaks around the age of 34. So how do you actually build up an aerobic capacity. How do you find and develop that peak? Well, what you have to do is you have to do high intensity training. You have to teach the heart and its ability to move that oxygen rich blood to the muscles that are moving. That's the primary limitation is stroke volume. And so that high intensity training, one of the primary protocols of CrossFit is going to enable you to maintain that VO2 max for a longer amount of time. So if you're unfortunately at the age of 34 or past the age of 34, you are essentially old. And if you don't get into the gym, if you don't do high intensity work, then your aerobic capacity will fall at a faster rate than the person that's doing it. And, 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 and that is well known. I mean, if you go and you want to look it up, just look up VO2 max scores. And mm -hmm. you will see my VO2 max was in the, in the high 80s when I was a kid. And now it's 63. And the only thing that happened, I got old. Mm -hmm. Sorry, you guys. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say so. But, but, but trying, to, <laughs> trying to maintain it for as long as possible, we always That's cover right. the area under the curve, or yeah. you know, improve slow it, it or, or slow it down is That's going right. to be not just long, slow distance, but you better get out there and you better move it at, at as fast of a pace as you can handle given your hamstrings, whatever it happens to be. But it's also in movement. And so that's why CrossFit, you have a thousand movements in the gym. Mm -hmm. And by doing high intensity protocols, what you're doing is 
is you're working that specific movement. Remember, VO2 max, when you do the test, it's only measuring the muscles that are moving in the test. So if you do a running VO2 test, it only tells you about running, right? It falls under this theory of specificity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what CrossFit through constantly vary, right? High intensity is building your aerobic capacity, not just in running, it's doing it in everything. Yes, sir. And 100%. you combine that with strength. Now you're putting yourself in a better position to age. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's a lot of things in there that, uh, you know, Greg used to say back in the day about that. And one of them you, you just pointed out, which is that, you know, so many of these attributes are are specific to the domains in which they're trained. And mm-hmm. if you have somebody who's a really elite runner, for example, or, or a cyclist or a rower, it's not uncommon to get them out of that domain and they're really average despite the fact that you would think there's similar physical attributes at play. You have an amazing rower, you get them out there pounding the pavement and, and they're kind of middle of the pack runners despite right. the fact that, man, their aerobic capacity is through the roof. Like There is that specificity that matters. Um, yep. And the second thing that kind of brings to mind is, you know, man, how unfortunate it is. You talk about this decline and I think everybody intuitively understands that if you do nothing, it's going to be a slow sail off into the sunset. You know, you're, you're not going to be in a good place. Um, but I think what's really unfortunate when we see people that are younger these days um, who have never taken any time to develop at all. I mean, they've got such a low threshold at the beginning and that's only going to get worse as age creeps in. I think that to me is such a tragedy. Um, it's brutal. You know, yeah, it really is. And I, I think that's one of the biggest benefits of, of you know, if we look at CrossFit, the movement, uh, it's to convince people that, hey, not only can you, no matter where you're starting from, um, push out your limits, but it doesn't matter how old you are, you can at least have a fighting chance to sustain some of this. And, you know, maybe you're not going to be doing what you were at 55 that you were at 25, but you're going to be a lot closer to it than you think. And there are ways to try to preserve that. So that that to me is so heartening, uh, despite the fact that, you know, if you look around, I think it's easy to form a pretty dour opinion on uh, <laughs> the physical state of, of most people. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I guess there is the, that glimmer of hope um, if, if you're willing to do the work. I, I personally, I, I, I mean, I agree with you, Boz, that what's happening now with this Gen Z, it's, it, it, it is a, a huge concern because we as an entire population, we're dependent upon these generations as sure. they move through. And, and, and the, the, the numbers of, of, of new people going into our armed forces, right? The, the, the Marines, Army, they're at record lows of registration. Like they haven't seen mm-hmm. numbers like this since the 70s. And the problem is, is that the Army, the, the military has to fill these spots. And so they're going to incentivize these kids, right? They have to fill them. Well, the same pooling of people comes from fire, right? Firefighters mm. are the same population of kid target market that the military is going after. First responders. The same thing with law, right. Law enforcement. And that's why who wants to be a cop if you could get mm. a check by just doing a three-year contract with the U.S. Army or you could get college paid for by the United States Marine Corps, right? That's the problem. And, and so where CrossFit comes in is like, this is an easy entry point. It's easy. It's not, I'm making you go like I was forced as a kid to go to, when I swam as a kid, I'll never forget it. Cupertino High School, Northern California. Hmm. 
that pool was not heated. And I probably weighed, I weighed 50 pounds when I was eight years old. I remember it. Imagine I'm going into a non-heated pool. Uh, it was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a backup plan. That's all I had. So every day it was like my parents found where I was hiding and they dragged me off the pool practice. <laughs> but in CrossFit, you got variety, uh, right? Some days yeah. you could, right? And that's why it's such an easy entry point because eventually you're going to find your jam. You're going to find what sure. you're that. And, and well, as soon or, as you find that, you're confident. Yeah, or the other end of it is that the things that you don't like, you know that they're not going to be every day. So it's a little bit mm-hmm. more palatable in that sense where it's like, okay, maybe there's these one or two aspects. I understand the utility, but they're not every day. So it's okay. You know, once or twice a week, I can, I can muster up enough courage to do these things that are a little more confronting. But the rest of the time, I know it's going to be something I enjoy or it's, you know, it's, it's kind of fun. So yep. I do think that that variety is a big one. And, and like you said, I mean, um, I've heard this from so many athletes from so many different disciplines that have had long careers where they come out of it because of the specificity just so beat up. It doesn't matter if it's endurance you know, type events, although I think they have a particular flavor just due to the nature of what you have to do to prepare for that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it really matters. I mean, I've, I've talked to weightlifters with the same thing, wrestlers. Uh, you know, gymnasts, all types of athletes where the focus becomes so narrow that at right. the end of those careers, man, they just are so beat down because they don't have much opportunity to get outside of those basic patterns. The overuse just overwhelms them at, over time. So, yeah. you know, I do think that that variety really is something that's hugely beneficial. Um, yeah. and, and I think that's another thing that can be overlooked if we're talking about sports, you know, it, the pursuit of sport has seemingly become so specialized that people forget the utility in training more broadly. Like it's not just because it's going to add, you know, another goal in the net necessarily. It's because it will offer you more longevity to be able to take more shots, to be able to get more goals in net. It, it's not a one-to-one relationship, but people miss that. Um, um, that's what so. I did for Buzz. I mean, I, 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 I was gr- really late in developing as we talked about at the start and and when i when i finished my first ironman it 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 altered my whole life because for the mm-hmm. first time i that was i owned it i did it i mm-hmm. i had to train for it i had to do the event and mm-hmm. when i finished no one could ever take that away from me it was mine mm-hmm. forever and that yep. was a confidence boost and the problem is is that I, and we work with all of us. We work with a lot of kids, a lot. And unfortunately, kids that never have had a platform to do something and take ownership, to be responsible for that journey, like what happened with me. And, and they don't get that chance to all of a sudden realize what they're capable of doing. They pushed their boundaries and they did something which was seemingly impossible. And that is what boosts their confidence. And that person, Imagine as a kid has never developed confidence in that way and fast forward now 20 years. Right. Imagine the type of insecurities that they have in the job market in anything that they do. Mm-hmm. And well, we see yeah. that all the time in the gym where, and, and people that say, oh, I'm crushing it at work and I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I have all of this confidence. Hold on. Do you underestimate, <laughs> do you underestimate your ability in a workout. Do you start too slow and finish too fast because you were too conservative? And that is a sign that you, life has beaten you down. 
Hmm. And you're not confident. If you were confident, you'd give it the gas. Right. Yeah, that's a really interesting point that uh, and I've certainly man, uh, that is certainly I've had years uh, where that has been the case where, you know, through whatever life circumstance. Yeah, it has reflected in the gym that way where there's almost this um, it's not fear of failure. That's a little too strong, but you're unwilling to to take the risk to blow up. And Mm -hmm. I agree now that that's been articulated like that. That is absolutely a lack of confidence. Um, Yeah, that's That's interesting. I see that in the gym. It's like what we really are doing. I mean, if you boil it all, get all of this stuff away, what we're doing is we're trying to get people to do something that they don't want to do. Meaning I I know it's risky. I know it's risky and I know it takes courage. But if you could do this, what's impossible, it's going to reframe who you are as an individual because confidence is the most important thing in order to have this happiness and success in your life. It's like, hmm. you know what? I don't have to cower. And, and, and but yeah. it does. It takes courage. Well, on the other like end of that, sorry, Pat. Oh, I, I was going to say on, on the other end of that too, I think that there's a certain humility that gets developed if you have somebody who's overconfident because mm-hmm. eventually the wheel turns around and <laughs> there's going to be one or two things that you're confronted with that <laughs> that's my favorite uh, you're not yeah you're not on the top of the heap and you do struggle and you go from being top dog to middle of the pack or or you know tail um mm-hmm. and you have to you have to figure that out you have to be able to navigate that just as well as you are when you're right in the mix with the uh, the best um and so yeah there's there, it's interesting to me having observed you know, CrossFit for so long that there is this leveling effect. You have people that were very meek and mild. I mean, man, I've seen this so many times. And, you know, after a while, they're a different person in the way that they approach so many different things. Yeah. Uh, and then the other end too, right? Where you have somebody who's a little bit boisterous and, and overconfident and they certain suddenly, although I guess it's not suddenly, over time, they've developed this ability to empathize with, oh, hey, you know what? People do struggle with things. We all do. Right. And I have now been smacked square in the face with things that I struggle with. So that it is interesting to see that that leveling effect take place. Yep. I was just going to say that the the physical effects of strength and conditioning are obvious, right? If your deadlifts going up and body composition changes, but you know, some of the most powerful effects we see all the time of working out is between the years which might be mm-hmm. harder to see and harder to measure, but <laughs> regardless of the load in the bar, regardless of the time it takes you to do a workout, you're there's something very important and powerful being developed. If you've got a grueling workout or one that you are not looking forward to and you know it's on the docket for today and you still go lace up your shoes and walk into the garage, that's it. Like you're, you're, if you start to become that sort of person that you're like, this is going to be a grind and I'm voluntarily going to go do it. Like that's, you're developing a bit of a superpower and it will, it will bleed over to other parts of your life for sure. Um, Chris, I want to touch on the, the, you know, the 1.5 before we get to, you know, get you out of here and get you back to your day. But I've got one more question before that. And I think it's, a, I think it's a short one. I hope it's a short one. <laughs> and I just want to know from your perspective, quick pros and cons, right? I'm going to do, let's say, I almost say doesn't matter what the work it is. I'm going to do a 5k, I'm going to run a mile and a half, I'm going to do six by 400 repeats. And I've got three options. I can go out on a, you know, a track or pound the pavement, real world. I can do it on a self-powered treadmill or I can do it on a powered treadmill. Those are my three options. Is there a one 
Is it as simple as, hey, if you can always do the real deal, always do the real deal? Or do you see some pros and cons to each one? If you're a new runner, I really like these curb treadmills, um, non-motorized, mainly because they, with the curve, you're essentially running uphill, right? So depending upon where your foot strike is at impact on that curve, um, it it will dictate the incline, but it's definitely running uphill. And that is safer. Running uphill is significantly safer than running on flat ground. And the reason why is because your stride is shortened, right? If you 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 eliminate that hill, you're going to end up maybe even overstriding. And so hmm. what it does is it forces a runner, a not let's say a newer runner, into better posture, better running form because of just the device itself. I also like it being non-motorized um, because what it's doing is it's teaching the skill of balance and agility and stability. And a motorized treadmill. It, it doesn't. It, there, there's there's no consequences. It, you just have to keep up with the belt. So for me, the belt is the last thing that that I would want mm-hmm. to target if I'm a beginner. Okay, but as you become more and more skilled, a lot of people don't have the option of running 24 hours. You know, out, I mean, year over year outside, right? Weather. So I don't have an opposition at all to running on a motorized treadmill. And I, I've done thousands of miles on a motorized treadmill and great results. Matter of fact, the current treadmills today, they are self-absorbing. So at impact, mm. they absorb the ground shock and mm. it's going to give you better durability. And, and I would highly recommend if someone had the option for especially longer runs where you're just putting time on your feet and, and you're working on your aerobic slow twitch muscle fibers for sure. Now, the reason why I like the track is because it's about precision. What you're doing is you're, you're doing a workout that requires you to have a specific distance, a specific pace, right? And specific recoveries. And that is very difficult to do on those, those other pieces of device. Fair enough. Okay. Perfect. Well, let's give uh, everybody at home, you know, we, we created the old 1.5 mile run program. Like I said, everybody can go to verynotrun.com and check it out. Super stoked on it, super proud, super excited. But, you know, maybe you can talk as a, a lifelong runner. Why, why did we choose 1.5 miles? Or did we pull it out of thin air? And, and what makes the program kind of unique? So, I, what I love about this and what how, why we did this is it. I could be critical of other running programs because what I see is it's being written by a runner. And then the other ones are written by some kind of a strength coach. Mm-hmm. And there's this bias associated. And I, I never wanted to go out and put out a program like this unless there was a collaboration with an expert that can create a program that had proper balance. Right. This is a 1.5 mile plan, but what should your accessories be that matters? Mm-hmm. And I don't have your level of qualification in putting together the accessory pieces like you did. And I think that the way in which we came together is truly unique. Um, the other pieces, like you said, like the 1.5 mile, our conversation was about, you know what, let's target what first responders actually need to do, right? The 1.5 mile test is a common test for law enforcement, firefighters, and also it's done, right? You had to do it in BUDS, right? Yeah, the pre-screener for BUDS, yeah. Right, Air Force, Coast Guard, 
FBI, right? They are all using 1.5. And, and the reason why they use 1.5 is because uh, it is a known test for your aerobic capacity, your VO2 max, your maximum ability, like we said, to, to bring in oxygen and use that oxygen in your running muscles. And it's, it was founded back in 1968 by, by uh, a guy by the name of Cooper. And, and Cooper, which is now known as the Cooper Institute, what it did was you were going to do a maximal effort 1.5 mile run, take your result, and it would throw your result into a table based upon gender and age group. And it would precisely tell how you were aerobically. Were you poor or were you superior? And mm -hmm. that whole scale. And so it's a very simple way for anybody to find out where they stand. Well, how cool is it for us to put our money where our mouth is and showcase, not taking apart what other programs do, right? Because, you know, let's face it, the Navy has their program recommendations and, you know, the FBI has theirs. Let's just show them what we would do. Mm -hmm. And people now can do a before and after. And, and what I love is what you recommended was the videos recommending essentially train the trainer. Like, I know I'm not there, but the video is actually addressing the individual prior to that workout. And yeah. that, that's very unique. And here's my overly simplified caveman um, description as to why I like it. You're, <laughs> you're not going to put out a crusher time on a 1.5 without having both sides of the coin that we talked about. You're going to have to be fast. And yeah. you're also going to have to have some just longer distance conditioning, endurance, stamina to maintain that pace for longer than you want to. So it takes both speed and stamina. And if you're putting down a really good 1.5 mile, your 5K is not going to be bad. I'm here to tell you that. And mm -hmm. I can take you to the track and do 400s and 800s with you, and you're going to be okay too. You know, so that mm -hmm. 1.5 was a beautiful kind of CrossFitter, right? That that middle that middle of the road that there's capacity on both sides. And I think, I think that is uh, something which will translate really well to a lot of folks, even if they don't have a 1.5 mile test associated with their occupation. Like I think it will bleed into their fitness, which is why I kind of liked it. What's also cool is like, you know, at aerobiccapacity.com, I created a, a tab for people to look at what are the standards by the US Navy and how they measure the 1.5. What is it for the FBI? What is it for Secret Service? What is it for LAPD? And, and their test, and, and you can see what they consider the minimum level of standard to get into those various um, first responder groups. Mm. Yeah. Well, hey, be. I mean, you can, you know, for fun, you could also uh, look at it the other way. I mean, what's it going to take to outrun the cops? It's like, <laughs> it could be valuable. <laughs> That's right. It could be valuable information there, That's too, fantastic. right? That's fantastic. <laughs> 100%, man. Like, hmm. <laughs> next, the next heist I'm planning, I better get my 1.5 in check because I know, I know the LEPD is doing this. And <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's awesome. totally true. Like, but, you know, but, I could, it, you know, I'm making short of it, but I do think that's really cool that, like you alluded to, this is something that's been a known test. There's a huge volume of results that you can look at, not just recently, but over decades. Um, you know, and with that yeah. kind of pool, it gives you a pretty good understanding of what needs some work middle of the pack and really top of the field looks like that that volume of result is really important so that's cool yeah i mean that's what i i i, I like is is to do comparisons against well, 
to compare against the best runners in the world is ridiculous. Like it's, it's sure. you don't even bother that with that. But you know what you could do? I wonder how I would do within the U.S. Navy's ranking. Sure. Right. Like yeah. I wonder where I would sit. How am I in terms of my fitness in that category? Could I qualify for the FBI based mm-hmm. upon my time? Mm-hmm. And that to me is cool because a lot of people will surprise themselves that they can make it if yeah. they wanted to. I think that's very true too. Like that kind of speaks to the whole uh, BTWB experience. If um, people out there are using the app and you know, you've got so many numbers entered in there now, I think it gives a pretty balanced perspective because like you said, comparing yourself against the best is, is really just disheartening <laughs> at its core because it's, it's like, okay, that's great. It's nice to know what's possible on the high end, but let's be realistic. I'm not training like a professional athlete. And for me to try to chase that isn't particularly motivating. It's really demoralizing uh, more than anything else. But if I know that I'm being compared to other people in my peer group that are in a similar circumstance, that's a lot more realistic for me to chase. And I can start to to feel like, okay, there is room for improvement here, but maybe I'm not doing so bad or, or you know, maybe this is an attainable thing that's not so out, out of reach. So I, I do think there's something to that big pool of results that, that can be really helpful for people. I like that. And I, I think the final thing I'll end on is because as we do this show today, this podcast meant to come up for another couple of weeks, but the 1.5 mile program has been live for, I don't know, a week or two, it beats me. But We've had a bunch of people. I let Lynchpin know that it was available. So we had a bunch of people that are already doing it. They're loving it. You know, we don't, we don't, we embrace running at Lynchpin. So was, we had a good group of lunatics that are doing it. And one of the questions was, look, there's, you know, it's 10 weeks long. There's three running workouts a week and there's three strength and conditioning workouts a week. Should I not do the regular program? Should I do these? Like, do I have to do these three strength and conditioning workouts along with the running workouts? I'm going to mess the program up. So what I would just say to anybody is if you're not following, you know, a structured program, it's got everything. It's got the running and strength and conditioning. You're good to go. If you are following any particular programming out there and you're very happy with it, you can do the three running workouts. Look at the other three workouts over the course of the week. Look at what you have coming up for the week. And there's probably a really good chance you could find what does the heavy day look like? What do these other two look like? And find some similarities if you want to still kind of be with your community and work this in. There's absolutely a way that you can do it. Or it can be its own kind of standalone deal. So I think it kind of it covers both of those. So that was just a, a common question that will probably help folks out. So yep. that's I, it. I've also, though, Pat, so I've had people contact me and I said, and they've, they've actually used it just as an educational tool. Oh, looking interesting. At how that's workouts cool. oh, are structured, right? Mm-hmm. And, and looking at what we would do and what we would recommend. And it gives them insights into their coaching within their own individual space. And I, you and I never thought about that. It's always amazing to me what people yeah. like they, 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 they maneuver into something applicable to them. And I thought that, mm-hmm. that, that is cool. That's profoundly cool. But Chris, I really, you know, as we record this, you know, everybody at home doesn't know this, but I mean, the games only ended like two days ago. So, you know, both of you gentlemen have been quite busy for other, uh, the very <laughs> recent, uh, you know, pass. So for you to show up today and make this happen, uh, really appreciate it as always, Boz. But Chris, very much thank you for your time. Thanks, Boz. Thanks, Pat. Appreciate it. All right. Well, for Adrian Bosman and Chris Henshaw, I'm Pat Sherwood. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we will see you next time.